0: let open up our Bibles this morning to Lamentations, chapter 2. Yesterday we had a wedding here. Um... A couple who were go to Church Christ, but they wanted music in their wedding, so uh, they asked if, if they could have it here. And they went through my counseling and everything, and it was a great service. Um, it, it was interesting. I walked in, and the guys all had these gray suits on, which was not uncommon, but they had these these orange ties on. I mean, they were orange ties, and a little orange thing in the pocket. And I thought, gee, I thought I thought the bride had. Better taste than that. It, you know, it just didn't look good. And then the brides, the bridesmaids come out, and they all have blue dresses on, okay? <laughs> so these were big Auburn fans, okay? Big Auburn fans. And uh, just a lot of fun and uh, happy couple. Uh, the other guy, he was just... Uh, They said, you nervous? No, no, I just can't wait to get married. And he was all jazzed up, and and the bride comes down. And, you know, everybody's real loose, and the bride comes down, she gets about halfway down. the And she just starts crying, and he's he's going, I can see him up here. And then they get all situated here, and they get their stuff together, and then I start to talk, and I I can't get through (laughs) it. Sorry, uh, my voice is pretty low today. I've got a uh, cold or something coming on, so I thought I would uh, take several days and go to Cleveland and get it cleared up. So uh, I, this afternoon I will go to Cleveland uh, for several days of meetings. So, All right, let's get into the Word. Lamentations, Chapter 2. Now, you remember we're, we're in a Lenten series. We're looking at... Uh, This time of Lent, the 40 days from Ash Wednesday to Easter, it is a time to be aware of our sin, a time to really mourn about our sin. And we're looking at Lamentations. It is not just the continuation of the book of Jeremiah, where we have uh, the fall of Jerusalem. Do you remember what year that was? 586? 586? Very good. Uh, Joyce is on the ball. 586, Jerusalem fell to the Babylonians. And they said again and again, Jeremiah says, it's coming, it's coming. And they go, no, we're God's chosen people. It's not going to happen to us. The Babylonians came in and just destroyed it. And they went and they killed, went into slavery, or a few were left to just live in the area of Jerusalem and to look at the ruined city. And Jeremiah writes five funeral psalms. Five funeral prayers, and that's what the book of Lamentations is. Each chapter is its own funeral prayer. Remember, they're an acrostic. Each chapter, it starts with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet and moves through. We don't actually see that laid out for us in the English, but that's the way uh, this particular Hebrew poetry is for us. And we see uh, Jeremiah trying to make sense for the people as a nation, about suffering and the importance of recognizing the sin that got you to this suffering the sin that you need to be mournful of and to repent of because as in particular we see a little bit this week but next week because God is gracious and merciful and he will forgive so let's pray before i read heavenly father we come before you today Pray that your spirit would descend upon us, provide for us understanding and insight into this chapter, that we might not only see what happened those years ago, but we might see how it is you're calling us to live, how it is you're calling us to look at our own lives and our own sin and cry out for mercy for you, for you are faithful to forgive. We ask this in Christ's name, amen. Lamentations chapter 2. How the Lord has covered the daughter of Zion with a cloud in his anger. He has cast from heaven to earth the glory of Israel and has not remembered his footstool in the day of his anger. The Lord has swallowed up. He has not spared all the inhabitants of Jacob. In his wrath he has thrown down the strongholds of the daughter of Judah. He has brought them down to the ground. He has profaned the kingdom and its princess. In fierce anger, he has cut off all the strength of Israel. He has drawn back his right hand from before the enemy. He has burned in Jacob like a flaming fire, consuming round about. He has bent his bow like an enemy. He has set his right hand like an adversary and slain all that were pleasant to the eye. In the tent of the daughter of Zion, he has poured out his wrath like fire. The Lord has become like an enemy. He has swallowed up Israel. He has swallowed up all its palaces. He has destroyed its strongholds and multiplied in the daughter of Judah, mourning and moaning. And he has violently treated his tabernacle like a garden booth. He has destroyed his appointed meeting place. The Lord has caused to be forgotten the appointed feast and the Sabbath in Zion. And he has despised king and priest in the indignation of his anger. The Lord has rejected his altar. He has abandoned his sanctuary. He has delivered into the hand of the enemy the walls of her palaces. They have made a noise in the house of the Lord as in the day of an appointed feast. The Lord determined to destroy the wall of the daughter of Zion. He has stretched out a line. He has not restrained his hand from destroying, and he has caused rampart and wall to lament. They have languished together. Her gates have sunk into the ground. He has destroyed and broken her bars. Her king and her princes are among the nations. The law is no more. Also, her prophets find no vision from the Lord. The elders of the daughter of Zion sit on the ground. They are silent. They have thrown dust on their heads. They have girded themselves with sackcloth. The virgins of Jerusalem have bowed their heads to the ground. My eyes fail because of tears. My spirit is greatly troubled. My heart is poured out on the earth because of the destruction of the daughter of my people when little ones and infants faint in the streets of the city they say to their mothers where is grain and wine as they faint like a wounded man in the streets of the city as their life is poured out on their mother's bosom how shall i admonish you to what shall i compare you o daughter of zion to what shall i liken you as, a, as i comfort you o virgin daughter of zion for your ruin is as vast as the sea and who can heal you? Your prophets have seen for you false and foolish visions, and they have not exposed your iniquity so as to restore you from captivity. But they have seen for you false and misleading oracles. All who pass along the way clap their hands in derision at you. They hiss and shake their heads at the daughter of Jerusalem. Is this the city of which they said, the perfection of beauty, a joy to all the earth? All your enemies have opened their mouths wide against you. They hiss and gnash their teeth. They say, we have swallowed her up. Surely this is the day for which we waited. We have reached it. We have seen it. The Lord has done what he purposed. He has accomplished his word, which he commanded from days of old. He has thrown down without sparing, and he has caused the enemy to rejoice over you. He has exalted the might of your adversaries. Their heart cried out to the Lord, O wall of the daughter of Zion, let your tears run down like a river day and night. Give yourself no relief, let your eyes have no rest. Arise, cry aloud in the night at the beginning of the watches. Pour out your heart like water before the presence of the Lord. Lift up your hands to him for the life of your little ones who are faint because of hunger at the head of every street. See, O Lord, and look with whom hast thou dealt thus. Should women eat their offspring, the little ones who were born healthy? Should priest and prophet be slain in the sanctuary of the Lord? On the ground in the streets lie young and old. My virgins and my young men have fallen by the sword. Thou hast slain them in the day of your anger. Thou hast slaughtered them, not sparing. Thou didst call as in the day of an appointed feast. My terrors on every side, and there was no one who escaped or survived in the day of the Lord's anger. Those whom I bore and reared, my enemy annihilated them. This is the inspired word of God for us today. If you're paying attention, you see some very terrible things in that chapter. Women eating their own children. Priests and prophets being killed in the sanctuary in which they were to operate. These are the horrors which fell upon Jerusalem. And in at the time when the Babylonians came and invaded Jerusalem and destroyed the city. So this lament is about God's anger and it's his anger with sin. And we've seen in the past, last chapter, not only does God hate anger, he hates it when we don't recognize our sin. He hates sin and he's angry with it and he hates it even more when we don't mourn our sin. But this particular lament does not end with God's anger but also includes a little portion in there about how we should pray for God's mercy because that is the only thing, the only thing that will stop God's wrath. Now, there are several rhetorical questions here that, you know, God asked throughout Scripture some rhetorical questions. Uh, remember what he said to Adam? Adam, where are you? Now, he's got one man and one woman and one garden, and he's, he's lost him, Right? No, not really. He knows where Adam is, and Adam says, well, I was hiding, and God says, why were you hiding? There's only one reason why Adam would be hiding, because he knew he was naked. How did he know he was naked? Because he had sinned. God knew all these things, but he is calling to Adam. He is questioning him, putting those things right up in Adam's face. And the same thing is going on here as... He asked a couple rhetorical questions to Jerusalem, the daughter of Zion, this beautiful city. And he's referring to the inhabitants. He's asking questions to raise it to their consciousness, raise it right in their face. So that they have to admit, yeah, it's my fault. Okay, why did these things happen? It's because of my sin. Now, Jeremiah does offer comfort, and we'll see that next week. But it was important for the people to mourn their sin to adequately, feel the full effects of sin in their lives. And that meant, in this context, death, slavery, exile. <coughs> now God's judgment upon Jerusalem might seem kind of harsh. I mean, well, Lord, you wiped them out because they just they weren't obedient. Well remember in 722, the northern kingdom Israel. God sent the Assyrians in there. The Assyrians were very nasty people. And they destroyed the northern kingdom. Why did they destroy the northern kingdom? Because they chased after other gods. Because they worshipped idols of stone. Because they put the one living God who had seen them and their, their people through countless things. They put him on the shelf. And they chased after other gods. Now, the southern kingdom, Judah is seeing this, and they're seeing the destruction of their northern brothers. And they're going, you know what? Oh, they deserved it. Because they're not really the people of God. I mean, we're the people of God down here because we've got Jerusalem, and, you know, we're the covenant people. But yet, they chased after other gods too. They offered their children to Baal and the fires of Baal, and took their firstborn and sacrificed them, not in any other fashion except to t- attempt to further... In a sense, further fertility. If I kill my firstborn, that means I'll have more children. But the Lord does not call us to do that. He calls us to obedience. He calls us to service to him. But yet they chased after other idols as well. And you can imagine that they were kind of shocked when destruction came upon them. Even though Isaiah and Micah had all been warning, this is coming, this is coming, Jeremiah spent his entire life telling these people that judgment was coming upon them. And what did they do to Jeremiah? They ostracized him. They put him aside. They didn't believe anything he said. He said, guys, if you continue to sin, this is what will happen. And sure enough, it came and it happened. Now imagine, I mean, the cause of this was God. You have to remember this. It is God who comes and chastises his people. It is God in using the babylonians who come and kill his people who destroy his temple now you can imagine the the we want to kind of equate this with with human feelings but you can imagine god's heart breaking as he sees his temple destroyed as he sees his prophets and priests killed look at uh, Oh, my goodness, where are we? Verse 6, He has violently treated His tabernacle like a garden booth. He has destroyed His appointed meeting place. The Lord has caused to be forgotten the appointed feast and Sabbath in Zion. He has despised king and priest. Okay. Verse 7, The Lord has rejected His altar. He has abandoned His sanctuary. He has delivered into the hands of the enemy the walls of her palaces. They have made a noise in the house of the Lord as in the day of an appointed feast. The Babylonians have come into the temple of the Lord, into the tabernacle. They're destroying it. They're having a wild party while they're destroying it. So you can imagine the grief that goes on in the Lord's heart, knowing that He has allowed this, He has orchestrated it to chastise His people. How much He hates sin to allow this to happen. To allow this to happen. Now, Jeremiah squarely squarely puts the blame for this on what we'll call the false prophets. Verse 14 of chapter 2. Your prophets have seen for you false and foolish visions. False and foolish visions. They have not exposed your iniquity so as to restore you from captivity. They have seen for you false and misleading oracles. See, part of the job of of the prophets and part of the job of the priests at that time was really to tell the people to hold them accountable spiritually and what were they doing they weren't holding the people's feet to the fire because they didn't like it i mean they didn't even want to hold their own feet to the fire they didn't want to hold the people's feet they were giving them visions of things that were going to be peachy and rosy jeremiah chapter 14 uh, you'll not see the sword you'll not suffer famine none of these things that jeremiah says will happen and then in chapter five he says, oh, the people love the voices of the false prophets. Why? Because the message is so good. Didn't Paul says something about that in Timothy, about at certain time people will love their ears to be tickled. And, and, and let's be frank, nobody likes to receive bad news. Nobody likes to have their feet held to the fire. Well, you know, you know, Rand, the problem with you, the reason you're suffering is because of your sin. I mean, that's not good news to me. I don't particularly receive that well. It may be true. Okay? But nobody likes to hear that. We all like to hear good news. God loves me just the way I am. He wants me to do my best. Don't worry about all that confusing things uh, that God teaches, all those things he tells us how to live. Just experience God. Live your life to the fullest right now. Don't worry about the consequences. But the prophet's job is to say there are consequences to sin. There are consequences to sin. Verse 16, all your enemies open wide their mouths against you. They hiss and gnash their teeth. We've swallowed her up, they say. Surely this is the day for which we waited. We have reached it. We have seen it. Jerusalem was the shining city of God. It was the place where God dwelt in the temple. And here they have been victorious over it so it's not just saying we've been victorious over this people they're saying we've been victorious over this people's God who they said was invincible and we are now better than he see these are the things they're they're taunting they're rejoicing it says they hiss and gnash their teeth hiss and gnash their teeth they're making fun of the God of the people of Jerusalem it says in a sense, if we were to translate that uh, verse 16, basically it says they've gotten their just desserts. Their just desserts. This, see, you people, you thought you were so high and mighty, and we've just come in and crushed you. Now, the Babylonians didn't understand that God was using them. But let's remember, just like the Assyrians, who later were destroyed, the Babylonians would be destroyed. Because they would not turn their hearts to the Lord either. They would not turn their hearts to the Lord. Now, Jeremiah's linked suffering and sin together here. Some of the people who are left are beginning to understand this. Some of the people are really beginning to turn their hearts towards the Lord. Let's look at verse 18. Their heart cried out to the Lord, O wall of the daughter of Zion, let your tears run down like a river day and night. Give yourselves no relief. Let your eyes have no rest. Cry aloud. Jeremiah is saying, okay, if you realize That you've been involved in sin. If you realize that you have not followed the Lord. Cry out to him. Let the tears flow. Throw yourselves before him. Seek forgiveness. In the midst of all these things. In the midst of how bad it could get. There's hope. There is hope yet for these people. So they begin to pray. Look at verse 20. See, O Lord, and look. See, they're crying out to the Lord. They're calling upon his name, but how do they do it? Look closely at how they do it. See, O Lord, and look, with whom hast thou dwelt thus? They're saying to him, we'll cry out to you, but do you know who you're dealing with, Lord? Do you understand what you have done to your people? It's almost as if they're chastising the Lord for bringing judgment upon them for their own sin. They're saying, I didn't deserve this. Look who you're dealing with, Lord. Don't you understand? How could you let this happen to us? Now, we would never say that, right? We would never go to the Lord and Lord. I don't know why you let this happen to me. I don't know why you're putting me through this. You know, Aren't I one of your people? Aren't I one of your children? But yet you're doing this to me? Now, that's not the proper attitude we should have when we go to the Lord. See, even though the people of Jerusalem had abandoned their God, for idols. They were still blaming God for bringing judgment upon them. Situation really looks hopeless here in Jerusalem. City is littered with bodies. There's no food available to the people. Women have begun to eat their own children. Few of the survivors have heeded the call to repent and to seek the Lord Now, we know that there's always a remnant, and some did, and conditions do improve later on. But right now, it seems hopeless. Right now, it seems as if everything is over for the people of Jerusalem. But yet there's hope, and we're going to look at this. In our own lives, sometimes it feels like we've hit bottom. Sometimes we feel like the Lord is... You know, why are you bringing this in my life, Lord? Why are you allowing these things to happen? I mean, I've been faithful. I've been, I've been doing what I'm supposed to. No, maybe we're not even idolatrous. We've been faithful, and yet we suffer, and we face these hardships. We cry out to the Lord, why do these things happen? Charles Spurgeon tells us three things. and I'm going to just take these from him. What we should do when things seem hopeless, because with, our, with our, the God that we serve, they are never hopeless first he says it is never too soon to pray never too soon to pray verse 19 arise cry aloud in the night at the beginning of the night watches pour out your heart like water he says it is never too soon to pray how many young people imagine that faith is a thing for age or for at least maturity but they think while they're young nothing can affect them Nothing can hurt them. They don't want to think about the things of eternity. They don't want to think about the things of God. Spurgeon says they believe that religion is for these older people. But yet, faith is for today. It is for right now. How many of them think it is too soon to be concerned about the cross of Christ? Therefore, hour after hour, Spurgeon says, sin whispers in their ear, don't worry about it. Put it off procrastinate about that religious stuff you can think about that later in life but what does scripture say heed the voice of the lord today for today is the day of salvation it is never too soon to pray it is never too soon to cry out to the lord it is never too soon to seek his mercy and his forgiveness next person says that we cannot pray too vehemently too vehemently Arise and cry aloud in the night. See, God loves prayers. He loves earnest prayers. He loves those who come to Him with an expectation and an understanding that He is capable of fulfilling those, He is capable of doing whatever we seek, and that we will find whatever we seek when we go to Him. It says, Pour out your heart, cry to Him. Spurgeon says, Maybe you've asked for forgiveness, maybe you've asked for mercy, maybe you went to the Lord. And, and he, he equates it with tapping on the door and, Lord, Lord, I'm, I'm looking for mercy. Spurgeon says, you don't do that. You go to the door and you pound on the door and say, Lord, I've got to have mercy. And he equates it with the parable of Jesus that Jesus tells about the man in the middle of the night who has a visitor. And the visitor comes and he's very hungry and he hasn't eaten. So he goes to his neighbor's house and he pounds on the door. He says, I don't have any bread, but I've got a visitor. I need some bread. Can you give me some? And the man says, I'm in bed. Don't bother me. And he pounds on the door again and says, I've got to have bread. I've got a visitor. He's hungry. He's a guest in my house. I've got to have. it." And the man says, I'm in bed with my wife. My kids were all asleep. I'm not getting out of these covers. You've got to be crazy. And he pounds on the door again and says, I've got to have bread. You understand that without God's mercy, we are lost. There is no hope for us. You can't go to the Lord. He doesn't want us to go to the Lord saying, Can I have mercy, Lord? Um, I don't mean to bother you. We need to go and say, Lord, I am lost without you. We have to pound on the door and cry out to the Lord. Lord, I've got to have mercy. Because if not, I'm done. There's no other place. This world offers no explanation, no comfort, no joy like that that comes in the mercies of our Heavenly Father. Cry out aloud to the Lord. Thirdly, he says, we cannot pray too simply. You'll notice it says, Pour out your hearts before Him. Doesn't say pour out your fancy words. Doesn't say pour out your eloquent speeches. It simply says, Pour out your heart to the Lord. Well, does the Lord want everything in my heart? Yes, he does. He wants your sin, he wants your joys. He wants your failings. He wants everything to be poured out to him. Why? Frankly, he already knows what's in there. He already knows. But he wants us to understand it. He wants us to know that we can find forgiveness at the throne of grace. It is there where those sins that we're crying out, it is there it can be forgiven. It is there that we can find the mercy that we seek so desperately. And only there. It's very simple today. Judgment comes upon sin. That's it. But for those who cry out to the Lord and seek mercy, he is faithful to forgive. Don't know what has gone on in your life. Don't know what went on 20, 30 years ago. Don't want to know what went on yesterday. Don't think that you cannot be forgiven. Don't think that you cannot cry out for mercy and the Lord will say, you know what, that sin was too terrible. I'm not going to forgive that. No, when we seek forgiveness from the Lord, he is faithful. He provides that mercy which we desperately need and we cannot find any place else. If he forgave the idolatry of the people of Jerusalem, that remnant that sought his face, After the destruction that he wrought in their lives, will he not forgive us when we cry out for mercy? Will he not bring his grace to us as well? Let's pray. Lord, come today. Rain your grace upon us that we might know this mercy. For we are sinners. We have fallen short, we have gone our own way, we have sought our own things. But yet you are faithful to forgive. You will provide the mercy. You will provide the grace. All we need to do is come to you with hearts that understand our sin, mourn for it, and seek mercy. Lord, we might not have fancy words, but you don't want our words to be eloquent. You want our hearts to be poured out. Here we are. Take and cleanse us, Lord that we might know this wonderful grace of Jesus Christ, that we may know what it means to be cleansed in his blood, that we might know what it means to have our sins forgiven, to be remembered no more, and to walk in the newness of life that Christ brings. And we ask this in his name. Amen. Amen.